Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. Today, I continue my conversation with Bill Hall, the president of Simulation Studios. In the last episode, he shared how he got the idea of starting Simulation Studios and what are some of the key characteristics and elements needed for managing a successful transformation. And of course, the role of technology and the metrics that need to be identified to show the progress of any transformational initiative. In this conversation. He talks about some of his professional failures when he was given large responsibilities at a very young age. How no decision is a bad decision and how sims enable executives to get a feel for the impact of their decisions and learn from that experience. The role of software in simulations and the exercises he runs as well as a quick walkthrough of how a sim is run. The aspects of an organization that need to be built into a simulation and how he kind of models them as rules and formulas and all that. And what are, let's say, some of the typical qualities that a person needs or can develop to be someone like Bill? And that was a very interesting answer. The essential thing is about uh, giving things a go and learning from that experience and how he is able to communicate with all levels and roles within an organization and uh, how he understands even complex organizations very quickly. Uh, I particularly liked when he mentioned that uh, he dumps all his ideas more like a brain dump on butcher paper and then Visually, that helps him organize his thoughts. About taking a break and breathing in nature, for instance, to organize the thoughts before doing a brain dump. And another essential technique that he talks about is how cascading learnings in an organization by training trainers and training the learners also to be trainers. And you talk about the relevance of simulation-based tools to enable high-performing teams and whether that can be accelerated and a group of individuals can become high-performing teams very quickly. He also talks about what he reads. And finally, we touch upon the limits of simulation. Overall, I learned a lot in terms of managing transformations or in helping organizations understand the complexities of transformation, particularly for turnarounds. Listen on. Mm -hmm. The role of a leader in this mm -hmm. kind of a turnaround or any change that you bring in, mm -hmm. the from probably being an individual contributor and one takes on a leadership role and then taking on a larger role, taking the team with you, so does simulation help there? This is more about from the individual's perspective. You mentioned that mm -hmm. uh, these uh, sims work very well with behavioral 
kind of learning mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so if i have been pretty much an individual contributor or i've been running mm-hmm. a very really small team now suddenly mm-hmm. i'm faced with uh, much bigger challenges mm-hmm. operate at a larger scale yeah behaviorally are there things that i can learn through simulations yes that's a great question and um i'm going to back up a little bit because i should have mentioned this before because i think it is an important aspect um i've in my career i've had some pretty spectacular failures right um you know i was promoted young i had a lot of responsibility when i was young i'm still young but <laughs> um but i was younger and i and i think i had too much responsibility for my age and, and in turnarounds things are so chaotic there's not much oversight very little organization very little training you know it's just panic mode right and i you know i i made some bunk decisions i mean there's no such thing as a bad decision right it, any decision is better than no decision right but um there was a lot of stuff that i learned from that and that was also kind of the impetus to doing the simulation stuff because the sims allow people to learn in a safe place as opposed to learning something that impacts people's lives right that's a biggie that, that's just such a biggie and the and the sim removes that that fear or that not that fear that 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 risk element um so there's a lot of behavioral stuff that i learned from those experiences right and the sim definitely allows people you don't experience it in the same visceral way that you do you know, watching people's lives be impacted, but you definitely experience the, whoa, okay. I made this decision as an exec inside the SIM. Mm-hmm. And now I see this massive ripple effect that I would never have seen before. So an example is if I make all this, if I, if I invest all this money into R and D inside mm-hmm. the SIM, right. All of a sudden in the SIM, you see, oh my gosh, I've completely starved my sales and marketing group. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so the SIM really does demonstrate all the kind of cross-functional dependencies that any big organization has. Mm. So behaviorally they can experience that. Now that's what I'll call the quantitative side of things. The qualitative side of things is they can definitely experience out the positive impact of effective leadership as defined by the company they're working for. So you'll take the company's leadership competency model Mm -hmm. and they have to utilize that competency model to be able to effectively make decisions inside the SIM, which they will then experience the positive change that incurs based on that utilizing or demonstrating effective leadership, we'll say. So huge, huge, huge behavioral component, if not even more than the quantitative side, Mm -hmm. um, which surprises people inside of a you know, software-based solution. They always think numbers and numbers and numbers and no, there's a lot of behavior stuff. I thought I heard you say that there is a lot of uh, software that goes into the simulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, where does that fit in or where do you use the software? Yep. Yeah, so the, the simulation is usually software these days. Okay. I'm a huge fan of paper-based as well um, solutions, but a lot of them today are, are computer-based. So the simulations are, well, just for the sake of simplicity and for this, for this um, case is say it's software-based. So the software is in very close harmonics or, or partnerships, you don't call it harmonics, with facilitation, with the corporate strategy, with the corporate leadership objectives, with the behavioral component, there's all these things that the sim needs to harmonize with, mm. um, within the company, 
within the um, within the actual facilitation training program itself, leadership development program itself, and that brings in all those kind of learning objectives. So funny enough, most people wouldn't would be surprised at this. I would um, encourage people to make the sim a small the actual software component. Sorry. A, a small component of that overall puzzle. It just needs to be there to enable all the other components, the leadership, the strategy, the change, the behavior, all that stuff. So it, it, it's definitely a big piece of software, but it's a small component of what needs to happen within the leadership change initiative. So is that like uh, running through multiple short caselets or mm. is that some huge formula where you just... Uh, interact with the keyboard and then look at the results or how does that work? Yeah, that's a good question. So I'll kind of go through a quick example. So the the most simple example is you take the 25 or so um, participants, you break mm-hmm. them up into teams. They each get a very brief case study. The case study might be a page or two, nothing big. It has some metrics in there. And all it is, is telling them where they're starting. You're starting the game. What's the backstory? Mm-hmm. What are we doing here? You know, that stuff, right? Then um, they'll have some basic data that they need to start to make decisions off of. So kind of think about like a Harvard case study, but just very simplified. And then they start making decisions inside the sim as a team, right? And they're all going to have differences of opinions of how to handle that, those decisions. Now, what's interesting is the five teams are actually competing against each other in real time. So it's not like they make decisions inside the sim, get a score and say, yay, we did great. Or, oh, we didn't do so well there. It doesn't work like that because their decisions are influenced by their competitors in the marketplace. So it really is like a real time market model that like a, a competitive marketplace. So in real time, they're competing against their their peers, right? In the room. So it really gets hot and exciting. And it looks like a stock market, you know, trading floor. It really gets chaotic. Mm-hmm. And then um, we'll bring them back. And then during the facilitation, we'll kind of show them through, kind of get through like what happened, who made what decisions, what were the outcomes? Why does this matter? But most importantly, what does this mean to the change? What does this mm-hmm. mean to, you know, why are we doing this? And mm-hmm. usually an executive will come in and kind of talk about, well, you went through this in the SIM. We put you through the SIM because we're going through these changes. And this is what this means for you in your job in the future. And that gets right back to the, what the change is, um, why we're doing it and how they as individuals fit into that change. So it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's a, it's, it's hard. It's, you know, it's, it's yeah. a day or two of serious work. <laughs> People mm. actually put their phones down, which is kind of an indication oh, wow. of engagement. Yeah, I know it's a big yeah. deal. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Big deal. Anyway, so that's how it works. That's kind of operationally how it works. Okay. So how do these soft aspects come in? For instance, you talked about assimilating the market or the teams kind of competing with each other where mm-hmm. you need to take a stand and mm-hmm. take a call and then how that yep. impacts or also observe what others are doing, etc. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's usually in close partnership with the company that brings us in because every company is so different in terms of mm-hmm. what they're looking for from a kind of what I'll call the behavioral component. Mm-hmm. Um, that re- That's usually a lot of where the initial kind of adjustment slash tailoring come in because every, just as what you, what you were keenly pointed out before um, every company has its own culture, its own leadership competency model. 
its own learning objectives. And that's the stuff that's adjusted quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really does, it, it really needs to align behind what's important to the company, what the company's culture are, um, what the company's culture is, and um, and then how we assess that. So each company is really, really unique. That's why I was saying the, I, we can't just drop into a company, turn the key and go. It, that mm-hmm. would be a waste of money. I, I would turn that down. <laughs> I'd say, no, yeah. that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, probably a little segue now mm-hmm. uh, into what are the qualities that one needs if one wants to be like you? Oh, my gosh. Um, qualities to be like me. Well, first of all, I'd caution them against it. <laughs> um, you know, that's a great question. Um, one thing is, you know, everyone talks about they don't, they're not scared of failing. Mm-hmm. Um, not only am I not scared of failing, like I actually get excited when I don't do well at something because I am the type of person that I, I'm only going to learn this stuff if I slam my head against the wall. Right. Um, you know, I probably drove my parents nuts because they probably try to teach me all these great lessons and I'm like, Oh, okay, great. But then I have to go and learn it on my own <laughs> still. Right. So, and I don't think a lot of people are that different. You know, I, don't, I think a lot of people, I, I think adults, we learn that way, especially as adults, even as kids. I mean, my kids are nine and 11 and I watch them do that. And I'm like, yay, you failed. Good job. You know? And, and so um, I would say not just having a fear of failure, but encouraging failure for growth. <laughs> so it's like, it's that personal growth mindset um, I think is important. Um, also, you know, give it a go, be courageous. You know, it, we, we, you know, we're always so scared of something bad happening. Humans are, are just amazingly result, re, uh, resilient creatures. Um, give it a go and don't, don't worry about the possible bad stuff. You're, you know, whoever's listening, you're probably a lot smarter than you give yourself credit for. I think people are just naturally incredibly gifted, incredibly smart. They just got to give themselves a chance. Um, so I would say, you know, it's, not a feel of failure and give it a go and you'll in confidence that you'll figure it out. I don't know if that really answers the question, but I don't, I don't think I know uh, myself that well, actually. <laughs> you know, partly because one other thing that I sense is that you, know, you interact not only with the senior executives, but mm-hmm. you need to also understand the rest of the organization. So how yeah, are you able to communicate true. with people yep. who are performing different right. roles at different spans of mm-hmm. control, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That is a, um, I think there's, I've, I've got a, I mean, I love people. Let me just start with that. I don't, any level, like it, I don't even think of it as levels. I just love people, right? Everybody has something amazing to give, amazing to share. Um, like my favorite programs to run are like emerging leaders and higher performance programs because they're just so excited to learn. Right. And, um, and that's, that's, I just, you know, I, I, I get so much, um, excitement, so much, I'll call it currency, just working with anybody and everybody because, um, everybody's got something that they can teach me because I'm kind of naturally, um, not smart, <laughs> But I love, love, love learning and I love learning from people. So I can talk to anyone in any capacity inside of a company. I, I, I really enjoy that. It's just, it's, 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 it kind of energizes me a bit. 
Yeah, on that learning width, uh, mm-hmm. how do you quickly understand the context of the organization that you're going to be working with? Yeah, that's a great question. And and I've, you know, companies I've worked with, they've called that out on me. Um, and what I mean by that is um, they'll, they'll say, you know, how can you ever learn my organization, you know, so fast? And I honestly don't have an answer. I, it's just, it, I can do it. It's just the stuff just, it kind of pours in my brain and I get it quickly. It, it, I am completely immersed. I like, I become almost like, a, like obsessive compulsive with it. So I just tell them, send me anything and everything you have. And then it turns into me finding tons of stuff to read. I just chew through information and somehow kind of simplify it and distill it down into a sim. Um, that I really love doing um, a lot. Um, it's, it's an intellectual challenge. Um, and somehow I'm able to digest just reams of information and make a game out of it. Um, but how I do it, I, I honestly wish I knew cause then I'd write a book on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I thought about doing that, but mm. I don't know how it happens. I mean, that, and that's just, that's the honest, genuine answer. I, I wish I had a good formula for it, but every company is so different that each one's different, but it, it's, it's yeah. a great intellectual challenge and it's incredibly hard, yeah. but I don't exactly know how it processes. Mm. It's the mystery of the brain. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. one rough analogy uh, that I notice in myself as well is that you know, sometimes you think in terms of uh, you know, PowerPoint or pictures, visual, sometimes it is mm-hmm. more textual. You want to be verbal, you want to write word, or you just get into formulas and you want to put everything into a structure and then yeah. try to do that. So is there any such you know, process or a pattern that you've noticed about yourself? How do you organize all the information that is thrown at you? Yeah. So um, first of all, I'm going to back up one second, which is just the, just from your questions that we've gone through in the last, you know, 15 minutes or so. Um, it's probably been longer, but um, I, I think that I think that you have that also have that ability to learn and what I'll kind of what I'll call kind of naturalize complex situations quickly because the question that you're asking means that you're you're distilling down really fast what it, this this complex thing that I do which is complex it's it's not it's not straightforward by any stretch of the imagination so I think the reason I bring that up is I think everybody has that ability in one form or another. It's just how we do it, which mm-hmm. gets me to your next question. So I think, I think you have, you have, you also very have that keen ability as well. Thank now, you. how it's done is I tend to just absolutely, my brain gets completely clogged with information pretty quickly. I can only <laughs> have so much capacity, right? A couple of things I do. One is I get away from technology completely and I'll get out in nature and I'll walk or I'll hike or I'll run or whatever. And it's just, it's just, it's like this background process. I'm not sitting there thinking about this stuff. I'm just thinking about what's around me. And that causes like this background processing to happen, which our brains are so good at doing without us knowing it. Um, and then I'll come back and I'll get a big piece of paper and I'll just brain dump. I mean, I'll get like butcher paper. It's like, I don't know. It's like three feet by however long I roll it out. And I just get a marker like Sharpies or like this tactile mm-hmm. kind of, um, I don't know, feedback on my hand. And I just start, sometimes it's pictures and I'll just see what text comes out of my brain. And then it turns into like a collage almost. And that's usually the, that's usually the genesis of where I'm going when I write something brand new. Um, and then I'll, it's terrible. And like a 
pack rat. It's like my office is like a fire hazard. I keep those rolls of paper around. Okay. It's terrible. But I don't usually go back and reference them. I don't know why I keep them. It's a little fire hazard. Yeah, I don't know why I do it. Anyway, so that's how it's usually a combination of get out, get away, take a break, get technology out of the picture, get into nature, let your let your mind do something, go get some exercise, and then just do a complete brain dump. That tends to be my, my process. When it comes to uh, the participants, going back mm-hmm. to their day job and then doing things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they probably need to be more aware of themselves and the situations mm-hmm. and possibly you know, develop empathy for the customers or the users that they are solving the problems for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so how much do they retain after this kind of a workshop which is experiential to yep. actually internalize it and then apply it in their day-to-day activities? Yep. Another great question. Um, the, the, the way that I've seen, we, we've, you know, I partnered with companies to try a few different pro, few different methods. The easiest way to do it that has the greatest benefit at the same time is the participants that go through the program, they are then required to go conduct training for their group. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it, what happens is it turns into a train, the train, the trainer in a way. Right. <laughs> and, um, usually what we've just, you know, we've done kind of back of the napkin, basic research on this. And usually if you go two layers down, um, that tends to be the sweet spot. So usually I do kind of VP director and above type thing. Then that VP or director has to then go conduct training for 25 people on their team. Right. Mm-hmm. Then one person or two people from that group has to go to conduct training for 25 people. And that tends to kind of permeate this knowledge. And, you know, as we all know, the best way to naturalize new learning is to then teach it. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's a very low friction, very inexpensive way for companies to naturalize this information that's going to help permeate the change um, that they just went through or about to go through, I guess. Going to more of the software development domain, nowadays with the expectation that the new features and new products are turned around very quickly, Mm -hmm. there is also a need for probably dynamic teaming. Mm -hmm. Uh, Teams are not permanent for a very long time. Even though we say that teams go through all these phases and uh, by the time they are productive, don't disturb them, etc., Mm-hmm. So from your experience, mm-hmm. do you think that using a simulation approach could help in creating high-performing teams mm-hmm. much quicker? So as I mentioned before, a lot of what I do is high-performance slash um, think of like hypo as like kind of a fast-track program. They work, it works really, really well in those, I mean, yeah, it works really, really well in those programs. Um, but it's funny, the hypo programs, you know, they, they tend to be people that have been in their position, maybe two years. I'm just going to pick that as an average and maybe they're a manager, maybe they're not, you know, it's usually a mix actually, which is, which is kind of good for hypo programs, but to get, and it works really well in those, as, as I said, but to get to the point of when you, when you have an organization, that's got a lot of turnover, a lot of change. Can these tools be used to bring people up to speed faster? In full transparency, I can't remember a time where it's been used for that, except for once. Um, That was a while ago. Um, It's not something I've seen used for that purpose that often. And I'm guessing the reason why is 
I'm guessing it's a cost thing from a cost standpoint. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty high um, investment for an organization to invest in people that are may have high turnover, right? Yeah. So I would say I haven't seen it used for that purpose a whole lot. In theory, I think it'd be a great tool. The only assumption in there is that the people you train are going to stay for a while. Um, and that, that, that's something that that's a, that's a, that's a risk assessment that the organization would have to do themselves. Be a great tool, but only mm-hmm. if they're going to stay around for a while, they being the employees. Yeah. Yeah. On the lighter yeah. side, uh, when I was faced with the situation or some situations like this, I just mm-hmm. asked them the question, you are worried about training people and they're leaving. Mm-hmm. Just imagine the situation when you don't train people and they stay. Agreed completely. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a very well-known thing that, um, you know, Berkshire Hathaway owns a, 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 a you know, good handful of very successful companies. It's a known, um, I mean, I think Warren Buffett's written about it, which is his love of training employees is very well known. He doesn't expect any learning metrics back. He just knows it works, right? Mm-hmm. And if you look at the companies that that the smaller companies, not the Coca-Colas, but if you look at the, comp- the smaller companies that that Warren uh, that Berkshire Hathaway invests in, they've got pretty low turnover. Mm-hmm. They've got a lot of very experienced, a lot of very good managers in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say there's probably a correlation between just looking at that one case study between um, the 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 known importance of of training with low turnover. I would imagine the correlation rate is pretty high. Mm. So completely agree, and that's a great yeah. call out. Yeah, and also it need not be only formal training. Like I am fascinated by this book called The Eleven Rings, Phil Jackson, mm-hmm. his experience okay. of creating these uh, you know, winning basketball teams. You no, know? uh, when he was the Chicago Bulls and then the Lakers. And talking uh-huh. about high intense personalities, mm-hmm. like you have you know, Kobe and uh, Jordan mm-hmm. and others. Now, mm-hmm. how he was able to bring them together as a team. Uh, mm-hmm. All the other issues, the dynamics, interpersonal dynamics, plus uh, the pressures of performance. Uh, mm-hmm. I like that. That's why when he had to come in and then put together a team that can consistently deliver. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I got a. So, what's the name of the book? Because I love reading. It's stuff called. Like it's this. called the Eleven Rings. All right, I gotta. I gotta. I gotta look yeah, this because up. he he got yeah. eleven rings. Oh, that's hysterical! That's yeah. great. Um, yeah, I'm gonna, I I really I can chew through those books. Yeah. I love that stuff. Yeah. Um, I love again. This gets too experiential, right? It's not mm. a book of theory. It's a book mm. of what this leader did, and that's Absolutely. that's yeah. that's the stuff I can chew when I get through. I mean, I love reading Harvard review. Oh, back mm. up. I don't love reading Harvard mm. review stuff, but you know, I I I enjoy it. I find the information useful. But boy, I can't put stuff down if it's real life experiential stuff. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm glad you shared that because the more of those I can find, the the better. Yeah. Yeah, so that's actually this the goal of this podcast as well, bring in real stories of real people you know, like you. Yeah. So next uh, one probably to, as we kind of come towards the close is, what are the mm-hmm. limits of simulation? Oh, that's, that's a great question. And actually, um, you'd be surprised how often I get a call from companies and I actually say, don't use a sim. I mean, I wrote a book about utilizing sims and games oh. on it. And there's actually... 
you know, a lot of that book is in a way trying to talk people out of using a SIM because mm -hmm. there are incredible limitations. Mm -hmm. And I would say the first primary core limitation is expectations. A lot of people, they'll, they'll bring on a SIM thinking that it can do amazing things and do all the teaching and bake bread and solve all the strategy change problems. And it just can't. And you know, the industry I'm in is a, it's a little embarrassing. I think they sell it that way. Um, and it's, they're, they're not the limitations of the SIM are entirely based on the expectations of what you want out of them. So you gotta be really careful with that and also the size of them. So if you make a SIM really complicated, way too many decisions, way too many learning objectives, way too many, um, complexities, people will forget why they're even, it's all of a sudden it just turns into a a game. They're just pushing buttons and pulling levers and turning dials. Right. And it just, it becomes a very expensive, very useless exercise. Um, so the limitation of the SIM is entirely founded on how somebody uses them. And what I'll say is the size of them, the more focused they are around the core objectives of the change in the learning, the more effective they'll be. If you go outside those parameters they'll become very quickly detrimental. Not only are they just not effective, they actually can get in the way of learning. Um, and that would be the third piece is they can most definitely get in the way of effective learning within a leadership development program unless they're used appropriately. So they can actually be a problematic tool. And when a, when a, when a prospective client calls and they describe what they want, what, you know, I usually ask them, well, what are your expectations? And if, 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 you know, if we're on bullet point number 50. I'm like, yeah, you gotta <laughs> focus is your friend here. This is not going to work. And I'll usually kind of steer them towards something that's, you know, not what I do <laughs> if they're really insistent on that. So definitely limitations to it. That's, that's a, that's actually an important question that, you know, listeners should understand is that they can be used in what I'll say is incorrectly, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, last question. I can't avoid this kind of topical, uh, sure. which is uh, after you go through a sim, you kind of do things. How do you handle what we may call as the black swan kind of situations where mm -hmm. uh, suddenly there is this uh, takeover that happens? You know, somebody pays a billion dollars and then everything mm -hmm. kind of changes overnight, like what you are seeing you know, recently. Yeah. You you mean you mean utilizing sim before or after that? Before no, you you are on a path, yeah. And then suddenly things change. Yeah, yeah. Um, At least as an individual, does mm -hmm. it help me be prepared to handle uncertainty? So the short answer is yes. You know, there's a the most by far the most popular sim that we run is called the Strategic Thinker, and it's mm -hmm. it's it's to teach people strategic thinking. There's a lot of components that go into strategic thinking, right? There's business acumen, um, financial acumen, marketing acumen, behavioral. I'm just calling all these things acumen. You know, behavioral capabilities, um, innovative thinking. But a big component of that is um, what I'll call corporate resilience, right? Mm -hmm. And the sim definitely has a component in there where it teaches you to be resilient to change, right? So if you go through the sim and you actually really grok and naturalize that capability, that that um, competency, then yeah, you should be able to roll with the punches because you you've been through it in the sim, right? <laughs> in theory. So yeah, the the strategic thinker program is big because it does definitely have a huge component of hey, how do you quickly adapt? Um, positively to change, not just, mm. not just reel back and get resistant, but you kind of lean forward 
and really kind of lean into it and, and adjust with, with, with the new changes that, that have come. So yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, in theory, yes. Yeah, that's great. So on that the high note, uh, thank you once again, Bill. I learned a lot and it seems to be a very exciting area to be in. And thanks for sharing well, thank you. your perspectives. Yeah. yeah. And thank you for having me. And I got to say your, your questions are incredibly um, in, unusually insightful very quickly. So I think this is something that you would, uh, you'd enjoy a lot. So it's been an absolute pleasure and, and thank you very much for having me. It's been great. We thank Siddharth for the music and Anita for promoting the software people's stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com.